There's an old legend that Satan one time advertised his tools for sale at a public auction. And when the bidders all assembled, they noticed that one tail was, tail, uh, tool was labeled not for sale. And so obviously they're very curious. Why is that tool of Satan's not for sale? And this is what the devil explained. He said, I can spare my other tools, but this particular instrument I cannot spare. It is the most useful implement that I have. It's called discouragement. The devil went on. With it I can work my way into hearts otherwise inaccessible. When I get this tool into someone's heart, the way is open for me to plant anything that I desire. Now, even though that is an old made-up legend, I think we all know there's a lot of truth in it, isn't it? Uh, Many years ago when I was in college, I heard Pastor John Stott from England speak on a number of occasions. And this is what Pastor Stott had to say. He says, The Christian's chief occupational hazards are depression and discouragement. You ever thought about that? Just living as a Christian exposes you to these things. And I thought to myself, as a seasoned pastor who lived to be 90 years of age, Pastor Stott knew what he was talking about. And why is this true? Well, I I think it's true for a number of reasons. Uh, We get discouraged with ourselves, don't we? I mean, we read the Bible, we know what it says we ought to be, But we also are aware that we often fall short, and that's discouraged. We get discouraged with others, don't we? Uh, People constantly uh, fail us. They wound us. They constantly let us down. The older you get, the more people have disappointed you in your life. And then we get discouraged with hard times. I wonder how many of you saw this little Syrian refugee, uh, this picture that has been circulating on the internet. Listen to the story about her, unable to walk after both her legs were amputated from the knee down due to a genetic condition. Maya resorts to using tin cans as prosthetics in order to be able to move around her Syrian refugee camp. And whatever the true story is about how she got this way, it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? It breaks our hearts. There is major, major discouragement in the world today. I'll bet this morning, if I were to ask, how many of us are discouraged today? There would be a number of hands that would go up. And so this morning, as we continue in our series, Living a Fruitful Life, the life of Joseph, how appropriate it is that we come now to chapter 40. And in chapter 40, we are going to learn how a fruitful life overcomes discouragement. Joseph faced many, many discouragements. 
And as with so many things in his life, he teaches us how to overcome discouragement. Let's take our Bible, shall we, and turn to Genesis chapter 40. If you want to use the chair Bible in front of you, it's about page 39. And I want you to follow along as we learn today this wonderful truth about how it is that we overcome discouragement in our lives. Let's begin, shall we, by reading verses 1 to 4. Please follow along with me. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Let's bow for prayer for just a moment. Lord Jesus Christ, you are a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And you know in this fallen world, there is much sorrow, much grief, much discouragement. Joseph had more than his share. But thank you in what is laid down in his life is a pattern. It's a model for us. So that when discouraging times come, for whatever reason, we'll know how to manage, how to rise above. Teach us now, for Jesus' sake. Amen. As we look at these opening verses, we notice that Joseph very much had more than his share of discouragements. First, he experienced a false imprisonment and actually experienced it twice. Chapter 40 opens uh, with two of Pharaoh's important officials, his chief cupbearer and his chief baker, being thrown in prison. Verse 1 tells us that they had committed an offense, and the word there is a reference to a moral wrong. It is actually translated in the previous chapter as a sin. It's interesting, the, the rabbi said that the chief cupbearer allowed a fly to drop in Pharaoh's cup, and the chief baker allowed a grain of sand to um, be in one of his loaves of bread. I, I think it was a little more serious than that. Although I think Kim Jong-un, he would put you in a dungeon for that, wouldn't he? Uh, probably what is going on here, and other rabbis have suggested this, is someone tried to poison Pharaoh. Uh, intrigue and coups were very common in ancient kingdoms as they are often today, and unable to determine their role in the intrigue, Pharaoh put both of these men into the dungeon. Now, all of this is in contrast to Joseph. One of them will later be hanged for their offense, but we know... Joseph is totally, totally innocent. And this is the second go-around for Joseph. 
Joseph calls this dungeon that he was thrown into a pit. Drop down for just a moment to verse 15 and notice what he says. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. That's the same word used for the cistern his brothers put him into before they sold him into slavery. The very same word. One Bible student says this, Joseph had gone from one pit in Canaan to another pit in Egypt from dungeon to dungeon. And then notice he was bound in chains. Psalm 105, verse 18, reflects back on this. And it says about Joseph, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. We often think because Joseph was made the overseer in this dungeon, that he was sort of unfettered and free to roam around, but not true. At night he was chained with shackles just like the other prisoners. And then notice he was made to serve the other prisoners. According to verse 4, we are told that uh, he attended the other prisoners, these two. That's a very interesting word. It means a personal servant attending to their needs like a nurse would. Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, overruled the keeper of the prison, and he made Joseph the servant to these two men. Now, think about this. Having been promoted, Joseph is now at the bottom again, a servant of prisoners. And then notice, finally, he was imprisoned at least three years Maybe even more when verse 4 says they were there for some time. The idea there is possibly as long as a year. And then the chapter ends by saying Joseph was left for two more years. So he was there at least three years. And think about this. From the time he was sold by his brothers as a slave until now is 11 years. We don't know how much time he served in Potiphar's house versus how much time he was in this dungeon. All we know is this. He may have been there for at least three years, possibly several more. And we just have to pause here, don't we? Any thinking person says, well, why Joseph? I mean, what do we know about him so far? We know that he's a man of integrity, a man of principle. Uh, He's a man of unquestioned obedience. So why him? Why is he in these discouraging circumstances? Do you know the Bible is its own best interpreter? Sometimes when you have a question about what something means, you just keep reading in your Bible and you'll find the answer. And I want you to notice with me this morning the answer to the question, why did Joseph have to experience all of this in Psalm 105, verses 18 and 19? Now you get ready with me to read the last phrase. Notice what it says. 
His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass. Now read the last phrase with me. The word of the Lord tested him. What's the reason? What's the reason? God was testing Joseph. Here's the first thing we need to understand when we are seeking to overcome discouragement. Are you ready? God allows discouragement as a test. Did you know that? I'll be honest with you, um, I have not usually seen my discouragement as a test from God. I've seen it as a nuisance. I've seen it as a problem. But here the Bible is very clear when discouragement comes into our lives, God is testing us. May I ask you this question? What has you down right now? What is causing you at this very moment to want to give up, to want to quit? Your very discouragement is a test from God. The thing that has you down this very moment, God is permitted to test you. Now why? Why? Well, remember the uh, statement that I've shared on a number of occasions from Pastor Adrian Rogers. Let's read that statement together. Please read it with me. A faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. That's the reason. If our faith is only reliable in easy times, it's not worth much. And we will not be worth much to God in a world of discouragement, God uses those who overcome discouragement, and the only way to overcome it is by faith to go through it. I hope you will never see the discouraging circumstances of your life in the same way again. God has not abandoned you. God is testing you. Now let's continue in the story, shall we? How do we then respond to this discouragement? Well, here's the second lesson that we learn. Trust in God is what overcomes discouragement. Now, we've seen many, many sterling qualities in Joseph. Reliability, morality, perseverance. But now we see the reason for them all Joseph was a man of faith. May I just stop here for a moment? Am I a man of faith? Are you a man or a woman of faith? There's a wonderful verse in the Bible that calls us to be this kind of person. 
It is in the great hall of faith, the great heroes of faith, Hebrews 11.6. And notice what this says. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. How do we know if we have this kind of faith? Faith that God is pleased with and faith that God rewards. Well, do you know right here in this chapter there are two signs in the life of Joseph that reveal if we have faith that overcomes discouragement? Right here from the pages of the Word of God we can know In our times of discouragement, and we are seeking God, if we have the faith that He says will please Him, and He will reward. What are those two signs? Well, here's the first one. Number one, we trust God is always present with us, no matter how hard the circumstances. Let's say that again. If we have the kind of faith that pleases God and He will reward, we trust that He is always present with us no matter how hard the circumstances. Look at verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces cast down today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. May I ask you a question this morning? Why were the cupbearer and the chief baker downcast when Joseph wasn't? They have these dreams. They cannot interpret them. They're downcast. Joseph comes to them and he's in the same prison with the same circumstances and he is not downcast. Now I don't want you to get me wrong here this morning. Discouragement is normal and it is natural. And I am sure that Joseph at his times when Pharaoh's Potiphar's wife falsely accused him and he was thrown into that dungeon, I'm sure in those first few days he was very discouraged. But notice this, this is the key. That discouragement did not overcome him. That's the key. Why were they overcome and he wasn't? Listen very carefully to me. Egyptians were steeped in magic. 
And they were convinced that dreams were omens of the future. In fact, uh, there was a whole body of literature that had developed in ancient Egypt about how to interpret dreams. And there were actually professional dream interpreters who believed they had found the keys to interpreting these dreams. But the cupbearer and the chief baker, in a dungeon for offending Pharaoh had none of those professionals available to them. So in their minds, we are without hope. Here's what they thought. The gods are speaking to us, but we have no way of knowing what the gods are saying. Well, what did Joseph know? He knew the living God was with him. Look again at verse 8. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Brothers and sisters, what this is, is an affirmation of faith. That's what it is. Joseph knew that God controls the future. He knows that God can even control dreams. God had given him the ability to interpret dreams previously, the two that he had back in chapter 37, so God could enable him to interpret dreams again. What Joseph is saying to these men is, professionals are not needed, only God is needed. How many people at 8.30 in the morning can say amen to that? By the way, Don't ever attach your wagon to a professional like a pastor or anyone else because when we're taken out of your life, your faith will collapse. You attach your spiritual wagon to God. When Warren Wiersbe was leaving one of his churches, a lady came to him and said, Oh, I can't have you leave. I can't have you leave. I'm so dependent upon you for my spiritual life. You know what he said? He said, Then the sooner I leave, the more you'll start depending on the Lord. Right? Joseph knew professionals were not needed. Only God. Now, by the way, i got to drop this in. Don't think you have this gift. Right? Nowhere does the New Testament list interpreting dreams as a spiritual gift. Joseph was a patriarch. Daniel was a prophet. They had been given a gift from the Lord to interpret dreams. We have not been given that gift. And the New Testament does not tell us that that gift exists. You know what we have been given? We've been given a word to believe. That's what we've been given. And the point here that we are not to miss is this. Joseph's prison had not robbed him of God's presence, and he knew that. Whatever prison you are in this morning, and you're a Christian, do you know it has not robbed you of God's presence? You say to me, Pastor, I'm discouraged this morning. I'm in a prison. Here's my response to you. 
even in that prison, God is present. God is present. Let me ask you this question. Is God only with us in the good times or also the bad times? What's the answer? Yes. How about the really bad times? How about the really, really bad times? Have I said enough? Yes. Do you know what the very last phrase of Matthew's Gospel is? Jesus says, Behold, I am with you, what? Always to the end of the age. Many years ago when I was a student, I was listening to my professor, Erwin Lutzer, who became the pastor of Moody Church, preach a sermon on the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. He said, one thing in the sermon I've never forgotten. He said this, if you get your theology from your circumstances, you will not know if God loves you. And that's true. So many times our circumstances are so opposite to what we think is the definition of love that if we decide my theology is determined on my circumstances, we will question whether God even loves us. Do you know where Joseph got his theology? From God's revelation, not his circumstances. And we must do the very same thing. If you are a person of faith, you will stand on the Word, not crumble under the circumstances. You may get discouraged. You may struggle with despair. You may have depression that will come upon you. But if you are a person of faith, you will stand on the Word rather than simply crumble under the circumstances. You will believe God is with me even when it seems He has left. And that's how we overcome discouragement. Now let's look at the second sign. Sign number two that we have faith that overcomes discouragement and that pleases God and He will reward is we take actions that show we still trust God. What did Joseph do? He interpreted the dreams. Look at them, starting in verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Now drop down to verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. 
And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. Three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds of the air will eat the flesh from you. Did you notice how confident Joseph was in interpreting this dream? Twice, verse 12, verse 18, he says, this is its interpretation. Here's what Joseph understood. God is still with me in this dungeon. God has still gifted me. God is revealing the future. So Joseph acts in faith. And he interprets both dreams. Something very important here. Real faith, true faith, it always acts. Always acts. James 2.22 is so critical here. Speaking about Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham, James 2.22 says this, You see that faith was active along with his work, and faith was completed by his works. Joseph's actions here showed his faith. Can I just pause for a moment? Is God calling you to take some actions that show you trust in Him? That is always the test. Is God calling you to take some actions that show you trust in Him? That is always the test. Let me get a little personal here. Maybe you've decided to leave the church because of some hurt that you experienced. I knew a couple that were hurt very badly in the church they were a part of. They said this church was our family and they were mistreated. And that wife said to me one day, she said, I know why people stop out of, drop out of church. She said, I know why they never go back. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's purpose and plan for every Christian is to be a part of His people. And there really is no option if we're trusting God to drop out of church and God might be saying to you, listen, I want you to be a part of my people. And just because it may have not have worked in another church doesn't mean I don't want you to keep trying. Will you keep trusting me and become again a fruitful member of another church? Maybe you've quit the ministry. Maybe you've decided, you know, I was involved and I was serving. Look how I was treated. If people treat you that way when you serve God, I've had it. I'm done. And maybe this is what God is saying to you. You're supposed to be serving me. 
not other people. And it's only when I say to you that your journey of ministry is over that you can stop serving me. And God is calling you to trust Him. Maybe it's a a step of obedience. Maybe you're afraid to do what's right because you think it just won't turn out properly. I've got to control this even if it means doing what I know is disobedient to God. And God is saying to you today, you've got to let go of that control. You've got to do what's right, what I've called you to do, no matter whether it will turn out well for you or not. And will you trust me to do the right thing? Maybe we're involved in a broken relationship. And we're holding back. Maybe we want to face the part that we've had to play in that broken relationship. And maybe God is saying to us, if you want that relationship healed, you need to take the first step. You need to trust me, whether it turns out right or not, that taking the first step may be exactly what I want you to do. Do you see? The kind of faith that pleases God. The kind of faith that rewards Him is faith that takes actions that shows we still trust God. James 2.22 You see that faith was active along with His works and faith was completed by His works. Now I know what everybody's waiting for. Everybody's waiting for how Joseph gets shafted again, right? And you're all waiting to say, all right, pastor, all right, I know what happens. I know what happens. Uh, No good deed will go unpunished. And Joseph gets shafted. Pastor, what do you say to this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph But what? Forgot him. Back down to the bottom we go. Pastor, what do you say about this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Read it with me. God rewards faithful trust in His time, not ours. Did you notice the dreams were fulfilled to the letter? Are you following this? Do not interpretations belong to God? Here's the interpretation. Here's the interpretation. 
And now, just as Joseph interpreted. The details in the fulfillment line up perfectly with the interpretation that was given. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? He rewards those who seek Him. Faith always is rewarded. When you are in the pits of your life, wondering where is God, remember this, faith is always rewarded. But we say, wait a minute. Verse 23 says, the cupbearer forgot Joseph, two years passed. How can you say that is a reward? Here's the answer to this. It doesn't matter one little bit if people forget you as long as God remembers you. Brothers and sisters, God rules and reigns over all, not people. As long as God remembers, we have a future. It doesn't matter one little bit if people forget you. And by the way, will they? Yes, they will. The key is, if God remembers, and He does, you have a future. I wonder if uh, you've ever heard of the Marine veteran Bob Wayland. If you haven't, I want to share his story with you. And then when his story is completed, I want to come back and make just a couple more brief observations. This story appeared some time ago on 100 Huntley Street in Canada, broadcast out of Canada. And let's see if we can listen to it for a moment this morning. Aired on July 7th, 1992. Our guest was an amazing man by the name of Bob Wayland. Bob's legs were blown off when he stepped on a landmine during the Vietnam War. Through a lot of determination and his faith in God, his life became a testimony to overcoming challenges. He became a champion weightlifter, and he actually walked across America to raise funds and awareness for the issue of homelessness. He walked 2,784 miles, and it took him over three and a half years to complete, with an estimated 5 million steps. When asked on 100 Huntley Street about the hardest part of that journey, here's what Bob said. That most difficult step was the first one. Hmm. You know, I find that true in the Christian walk, Jim. You know, people right now are watching the program and maybe they've never taken that first step to invite Christ to come in their life. And that's what we're going to be challenging them all this week. Take that first step. Try it. It might seem difficult, but once you take that first step and open up the door to your heart, boy, it'll be the best step you'll ever take. Bob Whelan continues to travel widely and inspire many people about overcoming challenges in life. And he continues to share that most important step anyone can ever take to place one's faith in Jesus Christ and invite him to be Savior and Lord. So that's just another quick flashback as we look forward to program 10,000.
There's a few more scenes of Bob Whelan's incredible life. He's 72 years old today and still inspiring people. He won four times a national bench press competition. But instead of giving him his trophies and awards, there was a dispute over the rules. The rules said you have to wear shoes to compete. And so after denying him his awards, one day he got a phone call from one of the competing judges, and he thought the judge was going to say, Bob, we changed the rules, here are your awards. It was not to be. He was disqualified because he couldn't wear shoes. You know what he said? He said, whether you give me the award or not is okay by me. The fun was in the journey. Do you think there's a lesson here for us this morning? If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are on an incredible journey with God. And if we will trust and obey Him when discouragement comes, He will complete that journey. We may not be able to say it was always fun, but we will be able to say it was worth it. It was worth it. Don't ever forget these lessons. Discouragement is a test from God. The key to overcoming it is always our trust in God. And God in His timing and in His way always rewards faith. Let's bow together, shall we? In prayer. Father, Earlier when I asked how many people here today are discouraged at this very moment, we didn't ask for a show of hands. But I'm sure if we had, many, many hands would go up. And we don't know all the reasons, we don't always know all the details. But we know for every believer in Christ, though they might be in a prison of pain and discouragement, despair, and even depression at this very moment, they have not been robbed of the presence of God. And if we will continue to believe that He is with us, no matter how hard the circumstances And take steps of faith revealing that we trust the living God. You indeed will complete your plans for us. And the journey that we are on with the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless my brothers and sisters this morning. Encourage their hearts. Help them to take fresh encouragement from the God who meets us exactly where we are and lets us know He is present. In His wonderful name, we pray with great thanksgiving. 
Amen.